Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Welcome to episode 45 of How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your living room. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 125 days until the most important election of our lives. We need your help and we will win all the houses together. I love it. Joining us today is the host of Crooked Media's Keep It podcast, Ira Madison III. We'll talk about how pop culture intersects with politics and who will help us win in November. Ah. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Win. I always love when we can make pop culture and politics collide. Yeah, I was so excited to talk to Ira from the Keep It podcast. He had a lot of cool things to say. Frankly, I thought it was going to be more pop culture references, but uh, there was a lot of really deep stuff. I mean, we had a really substantive conversation, which was cool, with some pop culture references and some silly jokes, too. It's weirdly similar. Like, you and I live in L.A. now. I used to live in Washington, D.C., which... Where I grew up. Where you grew up, which people call, I don't know, this is so politically incorrect, is people call it Hollywood for ugly people. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) which only means that it's just the same gossip and trivial stuff and petty BS, but people are dressed much worse in in D.C. for all of that. (laughs) Definitely a lot more conservative. They have much more straight-laced Zoom shirts right now than we do on the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) There was actually a New York Times article about people's Zoom shirts. But, you know, it's funny you brought that up because I did grow up in D.C. And when I came out to California, uh, I found some really distinct parallels between the two places. First of all, they, they feed off of each other really, really well. There was a book that I read, God, it's an old one from, I think it was maybe the late 80s, early 90s, so it's way outdated, but not all of it, called The Power and the Glitter. And Mm. it was all about how politicians feed off of celebrity and celebrities feed off of politicians. Right. And um, LA, DC, both industry towns. I mean, you go out to lunch in DC and there, oh, there's uh, Senator Who's It and Representative, you know, whatever. And Here in L.A., it's the same thing, but with um, actors. Yeah, this is a natural point to segue into the big news about D.C. and the podcast this week. What news is that? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) 
The oh, DC I, is closed. I didn't even get your segue. <laughs> no. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay, so maybe it's not a natural point to segue. It was. I'm just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> DC is closer than ever to statehood, and we are going to talk about that on Breaking News, our first mini pod. First mini pod. We wanted to try out a new format, bringing some quick interviews with some people who are on the ground fighting the fight and doing this work. And uh, so our first one is going to drop uh, <laughs> 4th of July weekend, which, you know, that's probably not a good idea to drop a Everybody's podcast. Everybody's going to be eagerly waiting to listen. Yeah. <laughs> on their holiday. Anyway, anywho, we hope you'll enjoy it. We're going to um, have these quick bite-sized chunks of goodness for you to consume so you get some more inspiration. And um, yeah, the mini pods are coming. Yeah, and this one's going to be all about D.C. statehood and what the deal with it is and why we should all be interested in it. I mean, I never understood when I lived in D.C., like you pay taxes, you vote in local elections, you have a representative that doesn't have really a vote in Congress. It's very right. strange. It's it's whacked. And, and literally the only reason why it's been blocked by the GOP is because it would give Democrats two more senators. Right. That's the only reason because it makes sense. Like if that wasn't there, then it would just make total sense. And by the way, you know, Puerto Rico should be a state too, but that's, you know, for another mini pod. What else is on your mind for this week, Mariah? (laughs) Oh my God, so much. In the meantime, um, you know, it's so depressing. I'm so depressed. Okay, let's talk about this this video that Trump tweeted out over the weekend that he Mm. claims he didn't didn't really look at he just saw his name in the video and so he went ahead and shared it with millions and millions of people mariah is talking about the white supremacist video that trump tweeted out where um a guy in a golf cart was yelling white power at some black lives matter protesters as always with trump there's two possibilities one he's too stupid to actually look at something before he tweets it out and just sees his name and says, oh, there's people supporting me. I'm going to tweet it out. Or two, he is playing to his racist base and showing us who he is, who's just a straight up racist. It's how he started his political life with the birther movement. And it's how he came down that escalator calling Mexicans rapists and murderers. And um, you know what? I think in this case, it's num- it's door number two. It's eight seconds in on that video with that guy saying white power twice loudly. Mm. There's you know no way he could watch that and not see that. And I do believe he's stupid enough to just tweet something without looking at it. But he's actually losing some of his base over the coronavirus response and, and all of this. He, his numbers in his like – unbreakable base are actually going down. So he's calling the racist dogs. Yeah. I mean, obviously like that he's, he's got to hold on to whoever he can desperately. And the people who've been most reliable for him are a certain type of person, to be honest. And 
why not play up to that? And if you get caught, you can say, oh, you can have somebody say for you, oh, we didn't even see it. It's horrible. This is the president of the United States. Mm. And as you pointed out so well in our interview with Ira that you're going to hear, you know, June has been many things for many people, but it will go down in history books as being one of the most pivotal civil rights months in our history. And in the midst of all of that, for him to send out a, a white power message, it's it's shocking to the core. It's um, it's heinous, and um, and this is coming from the quote unquote president of the United States, who we need to do everything in our power. We if 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 you haven't if you were on the fence before, now's the time to jump in. I hope that, I hope that some of our listeners are people who are like, you know, I don't know which way I'm going to go. Maybe this <laughs> podcast will help me decide. Um, they found the swing left how we win show and they're like, I've been on the fence, hmm, but that video, that did it for me. But listen, even if okay, like let's say that you are a very kind soul who gives him the benefit of the doubt and says, and you say, you know what? I tweet stuff all the time that I don't actually look at, but I like, you know, at a glance. Um, Carl Bernstein has this great deep dive for CNN into mm. um, just how bad of a foreign policy navigator and negotiator Trump is like so dangerous for our national security. Please read this piece. We'll tweet it out too um, with the hashtag how we win 2020, but it's just like terrifying, alarming. He's getting played by so many people. He thinks he's playing other people. He's incredibly abusive to women world leaders, which should be no surprise to anyone. Um, No matter what your opinions are about what's happening in our our country right now, and again, like I know our audience, so I know we're (laughs) all on the same page, but even if if you're not, that's fine. Uh, It's not, but even if you're not, you should be (laughs) alarmed about these conversations that he's having with with Putin and others. Yeah, they got a hold of some transcripts from the calls. It's like Mariah said, we'll tweet it out. Please read that article. Um, It's some, again, I want to say shocking. Like it's hard to be shocked anymore. It's sort of what you would expect, but to see it laid out. And also the stuff that everyone's seen in the news right now, the bounty on U.S. soldiers offered by Russia and the White House saying that he never was briefed on it and didn't hmm. know about it. At the same time, he's trying to bring Putin into the world community more and be buddy-buddy with him. All of these things, he's just uh, – we know how ill-suited for office he is. But you know, we have a role to play in this. We've got to keep shedding light on these stories, and uh, we need to be in action. It's hard. I get it. You can't spell resist without rest, and, and we do need to pace ourselves, but 125 days – um, make sure we're setting aside some time to do our activism and stay, you know, stay focused on this. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. We we can we can rest in in November, right? <laughs> Hopefully. Okay. What's your reason for hope this week? Nerdy as this is going to sound, the Democratic National Convention is my reason for hope this week. So um, you may recall that this convention was supposed to be in July in Milwaukee and everybody was gearing up for like the convention of our lifetimes. 
Um, smartly, and unlike the Republican National Convention, this one has been pushed back to August 17th through 20th. And uh, last week, the party asked states to not plan on sending their elected delegates to Milwaukee. Milwaukee right. will still be the base of the convention. It's where you'll see a lot of the speeches and things like that and, and a lot of presentations. But they're asking the delegates to participate virtually, which is a real bummer for the delegates because convention is about getting together in person and really you build so many incredible connections that last for a very long time and relationships and wheeling and dealing there. Um, But the upside is that the DNC is planning on opening more up to the public. So all of us will, we won't be able to vote, but we'll be able to see more of what's going on, which I think is always a good thing. Um, So the major things that happen at convention is, of course, the delegates officially nominate the presidential candidate for the party, and they also decide on and vote on an official party platform. So there is a platform committee that you know, kind of lays things out, things are added and taken off of the platform during convention, and then all the delegates vote to to accept it. Um, so what the party's doing right now is um, even in advance of the convention is accepting public input into the party platform. So if you go online to the DNC website, you'll be able to submit a video mail or email comment um, encouraging them to put something into the platform or weighing in on on pieces that we know will be in there. So I encourage everyone to plan on weighing in and participating as much as virtually possible with this new slimmed down but opened up convention. That's awesome. You know, we all want transparency and um, and that's a a good step in that direction. Um, They're going to get some crazy videos just saying <laughs> if there's video submissions involved then um someone's gonna latch onto that okay. that that's gonna be interesting keep things make interesting a little I guess. fun montage from that one hey you know uh who is uh from milwaukee who that ira madison the third oh that's right i can't wait to hear more of what he has to say about it in a couple minutes but in the meantime tell me your reasons for hope well, my reason for hope is um, is something that we're usually very, very nervous about right now, and we should be, and that's the Supreme Court. So we had yet another surprising decision on reproductive rights. We are on pins and needles about Roe v. Wade being overturned, and the two justices that Trump appointed, both were dissenting on this opinion. Mm-hmm. Chief Justice Roberts joined the liberal judges in uh, affirming it. And we're on such a fine line with the Supreme Court. And we've talked about this a lot on on our show, and we should every episode, Mm -hmm. because Republicans sure talk about it. Like the Supreme Court is their number one reason why they excuse every abhorrent behavior by Trump and the Republicans. Abortion is, as you know, a huge, huge issue which ties into the Supreme Court and which motivates everything they do. So this decision is alarm bells going off for Republicans. They are going to be organizing around the Supreme Court in a huge, huge way, and it's going to drive a lot of engagement from Republicans. 
we need to do the same thing. And uh, it just reinforces how important the Senate the Senate is. These senators who are up for re-election in November confirmed Kavanaugh, Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, Joni Ernst, Tom Tillis, John Cornyn, David Perdue. These are all senators that are on the chopping block. We can get them out together. We can take back the Senate if we don't. I, I'm very, very worried about the future of the Supreme Court, which is going to be generationally life-changing for us. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think that, you know, it was a victory with some people kind of looking at it very as a very cautious victory because it was based on precedent. And some of the justices, John, John Roberts in particular, seem loath to go against previous rulings. So this might have been more of a, uh, the court already set a precedent, so we're going to stick with it than a, I believe this is, you know, a woman's right to choose uh, should right. be should be protected as much as possible. So um, we can be grateful, but not breathe a complete sigh of relief. Uh, no. Yeah. So. So what are we going to do this week? We're going to raise money for our Senate fund. Mm-hmm. We're going to help get get those aforementioned senators out of uh, Washington, send them back home, and put some shiny new senators in their place that are Democrats. Sounds good. How do we do that? We're going to have a link on our page, but you can go to swingleft.org slash HWW. That stands for How We Win. Swingleft.org slash HWW. And remember, fundraising as an action for the week, if you don't have money to, to put into that fund, that's fine. Uh, raising money doesn't mean you're spending the money. It means that you send that link out to other people and you, and you ask them to donate. And uh, you talk about how important the Supreme Court is and, and why we need to get the Senate back. Great. I can't wait to share that link. Yes. And what else are we sharing this week? We're sharing the podcast this week. Make sure that you tell uh, a friend by phone, text, email, twit, tweet, twit, Twitter, tweet, tweet it, tweet on Twitter uh, about the podcast and what a great resource it is for these calls to action, for getting more information, for finding out about ways to get involved in this very strange time we're living in where it's never been more important to get involved, but it's also never been harder to get involved. Have them subscribe to the podcast and then um, also make sure that they sign up for Swing Left too. Have them go to swingleft.org and sign in there so that they can get our emails and um, action items straight from Swing Left. Lots to do. But first, before you go off and and do your, your activities... We have an awesome interview. Ira Madison III is a writer who has covered pop culture at the Daily Beast and GQ magazine, among other publications, and is the host of the Cricket Media podcast, Keep It, a show about pop culture, politics, and what happens when they smack into each other at an alarming speed. Ira, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
So people have rightly called 2020 a dumpster fire, but June 2020 may end up standing out as a historic month in the fight for civil rights. When we look back on all of this, we saw Black Lives Matter protests all over the world. We celebrated Pride Month and the Supreme Court held up LGBTQ rights, even as the Trump administration fought them. A lot of whiplash there. Um, What's your early assessment of one of the wildest months I can remember? You know, it it would be uh, easy to overstate the month. Obviously, there were a lot of historic moments happening. You know, the Supreme Court. um, There were a lot of protests happening um, revolving around a lot of recent murders of um, black men, black women, black trans women, um, Mm -hmm. black queer people. But um, I feel like this was sort of a watershed moment where it felt like... um, a lot of the country was maybe waking up after being mm-hmm. asleep for some time um, and noticing things that black citizens have been telling uh, Americans for quite some time, you know? Mm-hmm. It kind of begs the question, like, and I get, again, this is like something that people have said about 2020. There, there's no way to predict what's going to happen next. But let's look into our crystal balls and try where do we go when we're on like when we're at a watershed moment, where do we go from here? Well, so this is very interesting in that it reminds me of something that um Angela Davis was saying, you know, particularly about the election, yes, and mm-hmm. what I've been saying um and other people have been saying uh, to young people who are wanting to make change politically, but maybe sort of seeing like um, they're not represented in the Democratic nominee, et cetera, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. What you have to really just understand is that black people in particular have really never had uh, someone who represents us in the White House specifically, you know, um, until like an Obama, you know, and even then, you know, the ways that Obama was handicapped by the right um, really didn't allow him to flourish in the way that many black people would have wanted um, to make strides for our community. You know, it's the idea that people are seeing that you need to take action, you need to take to the streets, you need to be protesting, you need to be donating, you need to be making your voice heard constantly, no matter who's president, you know? Mm -hmm. And right now we're seeing that in response to Trump and in response to the police. But many of the white people who are joining the fight now, yes, are are doing reading, uh, they're reading books, you know, um, learning about black um, leaders and people who have been doing this for decades, for centuries, really, and learning that even in those times of what Americans might have considered peaceful, um, they were not peaceful for all Americans. And Mm -hmm. it is paramount that you keep pushing your leaders on a local, state level, and also federally. And so it's the idea for... Younger people who maybe wanted Elizabeth Warren, you know, like I was very pro her, you know, maybe someone who wanted um, Bernie Sanders, you know, um, Kamala Harris, um, Andrew Yang, any of these people to know that you not getting your candidate doesn't mean that this fight is over, you know, Mm -hmm. and if we push and get Biden into office, then that means that we still need to push him on 
defunding the police, you know, like um, our prison systems. We need to push him on like LGBTQ rights, um, all of these things, you know. And um, what's great is that Biden will be easier to push on these things than another four years of a Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Way easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to, um, as an aside, I think that a lot of black people right now are getting the, since, since you mentioned re, like materials to read, are getting the question from white people they know is, what should I be reading? What should I, <laughs> what should I do right now? Are you getting those questions and how do they make you feel? And if you feel comfortable answering them, what do you tell people? You know, um, I am in a completely different position than many of my black friends. Um, (laughs) Fortunately or unfortunately, you know, uh, it goes both ways. But um, yes, there obviously are a lot of black people um, who are probably exhausted. You know, we're getting a lot of questions from white people who are like, what can I do? And it's sort of, um, we've been telling you what to do. Uh, And these books didn't come out this week, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I also understand that, you know, as a host of a popular podcast that speaks to um, a lot of younger people and speaks to a lot of white people, you know, like I know that this is my current position to give people reading lists, et cetera, you know, like tell people Hmm. where they can find information, et cetera, you know, Um, don't exhaust every black person in your life or, you know, like the four or five that you may know, um, a la Alison Roman, but, um, you know, <laughs> you should be looking to people who are already doing that work, you know, and, um, either paying them or supporting their, uh, endeavors, you know, and, um, I'm fine giving people lists because, you know, like listening to my podcast keeps me employed. So, you know, it is my job currently doing all this. And I inform people about we talk about pop culture and politics and race and um, all sorts of things every week. You know, so it's not like I feel a particular imposition that might be felt if you just text, you know, a black person you haven't talked to in the past few months and asked them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So I can get um, the exhaustion that some people can have, but um, the position that I'm in right now, um, I understand that um, I'm doing work to help people better understand the time that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you mentioned your podcast, Keep It, uh, that you dive into both latest news and pop culture. Is it hard to go back and forth between white supremacy and the Real Housewives? <laughs> I mean, is, <laughs> and is it necessary to have both of those discussions right now? Uh, well, you know, I think that one of those things is that um, pop culture is always um, colliding with um, what you would consider just straight politics, and particularly white supremacy doesn't just exist in the realm of politics, you know? Um, right. One of the topics that we talked about recently, you know, was two cast members of a Bravo television show, Vanderpump Rules, who um, 
for racist reasons of not liking a black cast member, wasn't the only black cast member on a show of all white people, um, you know, called the police on her at one point and tried to tell the police that she was another black woman who was um, robbing people in Los Angeles at the time, a black woman that didn't look like um, this woman faced Stowers at all, and gleefully sort of continued to do this um, in a racist manner. And that's ways that white supremacy can invade things that are just innocuous like a reality show right you know because you have racist people on these shows and then you have white people um consuming this content and learning the same behaviors or excusing those behaviors you know and um we're even getting into that with issues of blackface portrayals in sitcoms you know it's 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 what permeates culture in general and writers, television writers in Hollywood are not immune to pushing um, rhetoric that um, upholds white supremacy. You're also a writer in television. Uh, Yes. So since you brought that up, and obviously (laughs) blackface is, uh, there should not be any home for that. And I'm happy that the shows have been taking those episodes down and dealing with that now a little bit late, but I'm glad they're doing it. But the role of satire is really important, as you said, to call out what's happening in our society, too. So as a writer yourself, what's the role of satire in that? And, and where is, is that line in, in calling out racism and making jokes about racism? Well, first of all, I would say that I'm not particularly glad that the episodes are going down. Um, I think that it should be something um, akin to the Gone with the Wind situation that HBO Max did, where mm. there they comment are, on it. There, there's a comment on it, you know? I think that merely pulling these episodes doesn't really do anything, particularly for future generations who may stumble upon them, or people who did see them and, you know, maybe want to go back and look at that episode and not realize why it was wrong. Yes? And mm. if we're talking about satire... Um, we need to also talk about the fact that television, um, the people who make television, the people who make the decisions across networks um, are largely white people, you know? And um, the people who are doing the quote-unquote satire are um, (laughs) white people um, in rooms with other white people, you know? Um, There was a recent article by The Ankler, which took a peek at diversity in Hollywood circa 2020, and it looks at the corporate leadership of Disney, um, Warner Media, Comcast, NBC Universal, and, you know, like, there's more diversity in um, people named Alan than there are in um, (laughs) Black people um, or people of any other races, you know, and you have to sort of question the idea of who is the satire for then, you know, because if you take the instance of a white comedy writer like Tina Fey satirizing um, blackface, right, in the mid-2000s, mm-hmm. you're satirizing blackface in a writer's room that's completely white, you know, so like what you are making fun of people maybe who still think blackface is funny, but what do you think about actually hiring other black people and doing something about the current diversity problems in Hollywood, you know? And, like, there becomes a point when satirizing something isn't really satire, it's just an excuse to also do the thing that you're satirizing because at the end of the day, like, are, are these episodes of 30 Rock with blackface in them making a real commentary 
on blackface. It's really just jokes with a person in blackface makeup, you know? Um, This is after um, Spike Lee's Bamboozled had already come out, too, which is a very definitive, um, I think, commentary on blackface in the media and popular culture and how that can be a damaging portrayal of black people. And I would say watch something like that. I would love to see satire of not just blackface, but other um, racial issues in America, I don't know, from black people. And if white people would hire black people to make jokes like this, um, they wouldn't, probably wouldn't be having episodes that they have to pull down, you know? Instead, it's white people thinking that they're doing something noble while also ignoring the glass house that they live in. Yeah, and at, at least if you have some black writers in the room with you, then maybe they can push back and be like, dude, that's not going to be funny. <laughs> that's not right. Yeah. You know, And um, leadership, you, you, you know? Leadership yeah. also in the um, executive um, suites yeah. of these networks because, you know, I've been a black writer on television shows where, thankfully, I mean, I've only been on one where I was the only black writer, but, you know, I've been one where there's been two of us, three of us, and, you know, three black writers in a room where everyone else is white and the showrunner is white and the executives are white, um, it's not going to make that much difference, you know? Yeah. Ira, what has Pride Month meant to you this year? You know, I always do love um, Pride Month. You know, it is usually a time to connect with your friends who are part of your community um, and really just sort of feel visible, you know, in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're visible all the time, but, you know, it is really just sort of making our voices heard a bit more um, within our community and outside of our community, you know, Pride is a time particularly for um, hopefully this year in particular, maybe, um, you know, white queer people, cis people to sort of take a look at other members of the community who don't have their voices heard as much. Um, And then outside of the community, you know, like reminding people that uh, the fight for gay rights, lesbian rights, you know, transgender rights are are not over. Um, And um, in particular, um, I think that this pride has also just sort of reminded people about the commodification and commercialization of pride that's happened over the past few years. And, um, coronavirus's pandemic it created um, uh, keeping us from having full parades and really turning a lot of um, prides back into marches and protests out of necessity to do something um, because people are dying in our streets was really more of a reminder of the spirit of pride and how it was uh, invented in the first place, how it was born out of black trans women and uh, Stonewall fighting back against police officers who were abusing them and harassing them. And um, it's a reminder that our communities are still going through those things. Yes. And um, I think that after 2020, we can't go back to Bank of America, you know, throwing out um, Mardi Gras beads from a pride float. (laughs) Well, I didn't know Bank of America was doing that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, truly every company, you know, um, pride in major cities like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago are usually just a parade of corporations um, passing out things. I do love the Chipotle float, though, because they usually pass out um, certificates for free burritos. 
oh, come on. Well, that's good. You know, tacos, yeah. burritos, any, you know, you have to be pro that no matter what. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, let's talk about the kids. I want to know if the kids, and by the kids, I mean basically 35 and, and under, this elusive group of our electorate that's so difficult to reach sometimes. Are they going to save us all or are they going to kill us all? Because like there's well, one group, there's one group that is just leading, they're leading on racial justice. They're leading the way on the Black Lives Matter protest, on police reform, on gun safety. They're leading the way on the environment. They did an epic job punking the Trump administration at the Tulsa rally. And mm-hmm. I love all of that. But then we see the other side of, of kids who are giving rise to the coronavirus right now. There's a huge number of cases among 35 and younger. Um, mm-hmm. And they're becoming super spreaders and just seem detached from reality. And it's always a hard group to get engaged. And, and since you work in the intersection of pop culture and have a younger audience, like which group do we have more of? I mean, what's going to happen there with, with the kids? I sound okay, so for, first, for, for, first, Steve, <laughs> let, let me get something straight. Um, I am very much <laughs> under 35. So I know I am you very are. Much, I am very much a part of this group. I know you uh, are. But you're going to save us. Listen, I know, just I know for, you're just one for the of, listeners to know. I know you're one of <laughs> See, my oldness, my old sounding was rubbing off on you. So thank you for clearing that up. No. Yes, I <laughs> what, am one of the quote unquote. I just kids. didn't want to. I just didn't want to say. Millennial. What are you kids? What are you kids <laughs> going to do? Because that really makes me sound bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's all good. Younger millennial over here, just for people to know. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, this, this isn't really different from any other age group. You know, I mean, I'm sure if you look at um, Gen Z and Boomers, you know, there, there were there were always the people who were politically active, and then there are the people who weren't. You know, I mean, um, not every not every white person was marching with Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so there have always been the people who are on different sides of the fence. You know, um, I think that there are plenty of young people in our country who are politically motivated, who are um, showing up for Black Lives Matter, showing up for black trans lives, showing up for the marginalized people in their communities. And I, mm-hmm. they will always be those young people leading um, the charge. Um, and I'm grateful to be a part of that group. I'm grateful for the groups who are younger than us, um, who are also... Um, being maybe even more active than uh, my age group, you know, like um, really finding new ways to be um, politically active. And I will say that we do want to blame a lot of the people who are, you know, maybe being quote unquote super spreaders, et cetera. Um, But there are a lot of adults who are doing that as well. And honestly, um, it's really truly reflective of our government. You know, I mean, of course, Americans do have a sort of selfishness that um, (laughs) maybe um, is unique to us, but there are young people. Good old American exceptionalism. Yes. But there are, you know, young people in every country who want to live their lives. Right. You know, and there's a reason why America is not having this virus under control. And it really stands to our administration, which has done a horrible, abysmal, downright dangerous, um, job of containing, um, this virus. And it has, um, hampered 
governors and mayors and other politicians in uh, states around the U.S. who want to do their best. Um, but how can you do your best when the federal government is not helping you, you know, and when your state or your city is going to go bankrupt because you don't have federal aid to pay people um, and um, let people not go to work, you know, and um, young people, you know, testing sites too, you know, know? and if you're a young person and, and a bar is open, you know, like the governor opens the bar and says that you can go back there. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, your elected officials, adults are telling you that it's safe to go back, you know? So this is, this is a failure of government. Yeah. You're right, and I wasn't trying to hate on the kids, and 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 mo- no, I get I, it, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> but, of which I am know. part of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but the but the young the youngest you know activists who are doing all this work and who are leading the way they have inspired me to no end. They continue to, and I, I absolutely. I do think they're going to save us if, if, if we can uh, just follow their lead and, and everyone else jump in, um, hmm. then uh, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Of course. I mean, that's been the same for every generation, you know? I mean, my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, like in, mm-hmm. um, you know, 19, 1967, you know, that um, the long, hot summer of 67, where there were riots happening in urban cities across America in response to Jim Crow and mm-hmm. um, police abuses, you know? It was the young people who were going out there and marching and being on the forefront. It has always been young people in our country who are pushing the needle forward. And this generation is no different. They just have TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. TikTok's fun. So for the, the younger people who aren't engaged, do you think celebrities uh, who are being more active and vocal, looking at Taylor Swift and Lizzo, you know, who called out Swing Left recently, by the way. Um, are, are they helping? Are, are, is, is there kids that aren't being reached that are now being reached by this? Or, you know, what's your take on celebrities all of a sudden I mean, finding absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, and I wouldn't say celebrities are all of a sudden finding their activism. You know, well, it may be a bit yeah, late right. for like some like Taylor Swift, you know, um, but – you know, I grew up in the era of voter die and TRL and, um, you know, um, drives to get mm-hmm. people to vote and be politically active. You know, pe- I think um, celebrities and popular culture have always been engaged. I think that now we're in an era where it's much easier to reach your fans one on one than it would have been before, you know, before to let your fans know to vote. You would have had to appear on the news or MTV, et cetera. Now you can send a tweet from your home and it's much That's more effective. Point. And, and they can counter some of the, you know, hateful tweets coming from the president and, and everyone else too, Absolutely. like in real, in real time. So that's interesting. That's exciting. So one final question, what gives you the most hope for November? People are fed up. You know, um, unfortunately, the worse Trump does, um, the more people get fed up. And, you know, the worse he does, the more people get hurt. But um, I think people have had enough. Um, And I think people who maybe didn't realize that they'd had enough in 2016 
um, or didn't show up or for whatever reason weren't active um, now realize that um, this is one of our most important elections. And um, that, that is what's leaving me hopeful. Yeah. Agreed. We always said it was going to get worse before it got better. It, I mean, this is a little bit ridiculous, but um, <laughs> I think you're right. I think people are fed up. And as long as that leads them into actually getting involved, like, you know, like, yes, vote. Absolutely. Everyone needs to vote, but we need people to volunteer and, and make their voices heard and be active in this moment, too. Then, then I have a lot of hope as well. Ira, thank you so much for a great conversation. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would like to hear from you. Please tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven, or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, don't forget to sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us. Don't forget to check out our first mini pod happening this weekend. And yay. And we'll be back with our regular show next Wednesday. Have a great holiday weekend. Happy 4th.